Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. How are you, mate? Oh, I'm doing all right. It's just a lot been going on these last several days. Mate, it's really kicked um, off, hasn't it? It's going. It's, it's going rapidly now. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Recently, we covered the case of the Kane brothers and Mark Harper, three teenage boys who were arrested, tried and convicted for the murder of Jimmy Hill. It's a crime they have always maintained was self-defence. As you'll know if you've been following the story, Mark Harper will be released from prison after serving three years of his original 35-year sentence, while Jeremy and his brother Zachary are still incarcerated to this day. Recently, Jeremy's wife messaged me sharing a post that had been made on Facebook, a post that was made by this lady. Hello, Katie. Hey. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much indeed for... uh for Katie is from the Pleasant Grove community. She grew up there and she, in fact, went to school with the Canes. She was a year older than them but knew their older brother. Her post to her over 4,000 followers read as follows. Pleasant Grove folks, do y'all know there's a podcast with the Kane brothers side of the Jimmy Hill murder? I just started episode one. It's on Apple Podcasts. Pinning this to discuss in the comments. So I, of course, jumped into the over 200 comments at the time to see the reaction and the thoughts from the very community where this incident took place. And I'll be honest, 
I did so with a sense of trepidation as to what I might read. Many years ago, while working on a radio show here in Australia with two very high-profile individuals, I learned a very important rule. Never read the comments. Nonetheless, I scrolled down. The very first comment simply read, It's so eye-opening. And just underneath, another comment from Katie. I'm going to go into it with an open mind. I did not like those kits. Uh-oh, where's this going? However, as I continued to read the comments, it was like watching in real time someone's opinion very quickly doing a 180. Another comment reads, My childhood is a lie. Katie responds in all caps, A whole lie. Another comment reads, Oh my word. And eventually, as the comments continue, there is a new post from the lady who disliked these boys. And it simply reads, Hashtag free the canes. I got notified by um, Jeremy's uh, wife that about your post. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got over 4,000 um, followers on Facebook and you've obviously uh, been obviously made, made aware of the podcast about the boys and the situation. I jumped over and there was already a couple of hundred comments when I jumped over and, and had a look at the post. And what I found really interesting was reading through the comments at the very start, you make no uh, bones about the fact that you basically didn't think very highly of the boys and you were listening to this with an open mind, which I really, I love because... Then reading through the comments, it really tell, it shows a story of obviously you listening to the show and commenting as you're listening through different episodes and you start with not a fan of these boys, listening with an open mind and all of a sudden this is blowing my mind, oh my God, to the point where you're like, hashtag free the canes. I am ready to ride out for these boys. Yeah. Um, I... It, so here's the thing. My discontent from them came from a teenage mindset, right? Yep. And I felt because I only had the information that we were told based on what um, Kevin freaking Doty said and based on what the newspapers were putting out, I was like, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I'm right to not like them. Look at, you know, they're, look, look what they did, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and going into adulthood, I, I have a 15-year-old right now. I have four kids. Um, I have a 15 year old son right now and I was sick to my stomach at myself, honestly, for how harshly I judged these kids because in, in my brain, they're still kids. I don't, I never saw them again, never saw a picture of them until recently. So I am picturing these teenagers, these baby faced teenagers as a 40 year old woman. And I'm thinking, oh my God, like, I was judging them based on discontent, honestly, that I had for their older brother. Yep. There was a situation they were mean to me. I cried at school, whatever. It's mind blowing as you go through adulthood, as you experience, you know, adult things, hearing their voices um, really was disconcerting. You know, they're grown men now. And, and to know that they have not seen the outside world since they were the same age as my son you know, now as a grown up, I'm like, this is, this is, this doesn't feel good. This mm. doesn't feel right. And yeah, I wanted to, um, I, I consider myself an advocate. I've lobbied for legislation in our state that, that forwarded the interest of children with autism. And I have a very strong passion for things that are not right and need to be righted. 
And I have a platform and a voice and the means to help. I was only talking to Jeremy yesterday, actually. He called me um, and uh, we were discussing um, the post and some of the comments and that sort of stuff. And sort of, I said to him, I said, it's just, it's, it blows my mind that it's been 22, nearly 23 years now. And there's people that are on this post saying, you know, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. You know, I feel like my, my whole childhood's a lie. And I, and I just said to him, I said, I can't believe it's taken 23 years for people to find out some of this information. I mean, that's the thing. Cause every lawyer we hired just told us, don't say nothing. Don't talk about it. Don't discuss it with anybody. We're trying to work something out. And, you know, after realizing it was all because we had a thing going at one time right after this happened where there was a uh, Mark's dad started a thing on, online, which, you know, stuff wasn't that big back then. It was like a forum or something. And then my dad and my uncle and some family members, they got a, um, they printed out about 30,000 flyers and started handing them out at gas stations and putting them in places and people were getting and reading it and, and that kind of thing. So we started making a difference there. And then the lawyers were like, look, just to stop doing that. And we're trying to work something out. Or, you know, they just, you know, let it die down a little bit. And so we stopped and they let Mark out and left us in here. And then Mark's dad blamed everything on my dad. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's another little situation. We started trying to put the word out. That was about three years after we'd been in. And about, well, probably about two and a half, two, somewhere around there. And that's when kind of pressure got on it and, and Mark got out. And then we just, we, a lot of just don't, just keep it quiet, keep it quiet. And we're going to do this. We're going to try to work this out. And we're going to see if we can talk to the DA about that. And then things just never happened. Yeah. Um, and next thing you know, it's 20 years. So I finally said, enough is enough. I got to find someone that can, that can reach some people. And my cousin found you. And I think you, you're one of the um, first few people, I think really the first person she messaged, but I mean, she'd done some research and stuff and found someone that she thought might could do a good job and messaged you. And here we are. So, uh, you know, thank, thankfully we have the internet and podcasts and social media now, you know? Yeah. Um, cause you know, this was, this was 2001, 2002. All we had was, you know, word of mouth. Yeah. Um, and you know, printed paper. I mean, there, you know, the internet was not a, not a source of information for anyone then. You know, as I've learned from doing this, show now for the past sort of year and a half you know you always know that the media skews things and I mean I worked in the radio industry for 14 years before I um, started the podcast and you know the media can skew things certain ways but once you sort of hear the full story as it were or, or, or more of the story you, you get you see just how much the media doesn't put in because it doesn't fit the, with the narrative that they're going with and the influence that the media has, whether people want to admit it or not, even even over, you know, a jury. I mean, mm. I, I know they're not supposed to, you know, leave and go read the news, but, you know, who's to say they don't? Of course they don't. Um, and it's crazy. They have an influence and control over our whole being. Mm. People, people um, see something like, written down and they believe it. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, and even back then, I mean, we heard something spoken and, and we believe it. Yeah. And one of one of the biggest things from this, um, from from the information that came out on your podcast, was the statements from the kids that were at the police department. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. Okay. Yeah, because um, Kevin Doherty's name keeps popping up with people going, "Well, I knew that was rubbish as soon as I read it." Why is everyone so adamant that Kevin Doherty's statement would have been false? Um, Kevin Doherty was a problematic person. He was a problematic kid. He was a known 
liar. He was probably the most or one of the most problematic people in our grade. And, you know, I grew up with these people from kindergarten through 12th grade. This is not someone I had, you know, a few years of experience with. I grew up with Kevin Doty and Blake Wisenhunt will be, will be the other one. Yeah. Kevin and I have not um, kept in touch since high school. I don't, I don't think very many people did catch up with him or keep up with him. Um, but I laughed audibly when I got to that part in your podcast and I hit my husband in the arm and got, he's not from Pleasant Grove. He doesn't know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And I'm like, hit him in the arm. And I'm like, I can't believe anything Kevin Doty ever said was even entered, even considered. It's amazing to me that the things that we heard about, particularly Zach, that he showed no remorse, that he was bragging about beating this man to death, that he was hoping that he died. I believed that for a lot of years because mm. i that's just what we heard. I had no idea that the source was the most problematic, most untrustworthy person in our graduating class. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From what I gather, the biggest thing that everyone thought was true came from Kevin Doherty's statement was that Zach was basically bragging about 
having beat the shit out of uh, Jimmy Hill and he hoped he died and he didn't care what had happened to him and all the rest of it. They didn't realise it came from Kevin Doherty and a lot of the community are like, nothing that uh, that guy says you can take as truth at all. Even more so against us is because of the situation he was in at the, at the, at the community service. Was, was because of, of you, well, yeah. I mean, my parents, yeah. So, you know, I mean, he definitely had a, a vendetta against us, so... And like uh, he told us in 2005 that you know I think I told you about that that, that when I've seen him in the in the jail when he was in jail when he was, we was having a, a hearing for a Rule 32 several three years after it was right after Mark or well, right at the same time Mark went to court a couple of weeks later we went to court and Mark obviously got out we didn't but he seen us and was like well tell him to call me up there I'll I'll tell him I lied I can't believe I did that this is you know it was wrong and I'm sorry and all this kind of stuff. This Facebook post, as this episode of the show goes out, has now gained almost 500 comments from people from or around the Pleasant Grove area, a community who have almost all said that the story they heard growing up was nothing like what they have heard from the boys who were there that day. Hello. Hello, is that Blake? Yes, sir. Hi, Blake. My name's Jack Lawrence. I'm the uh, the host of the podcast where I uh, told the story of the Kane brothers. Hey, Jack. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Katie gave me your number. I hope you don't mind me giving you a call. Small town gossip, fifth-hand accounts, newspaper articles, and a friend of a friend who knew someone who spoke with the boys, and that's how they got their information. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that uh, came to light over the course of the episodes of the podcast were things that i certainly wasn't aware of um and pleasant grove is you know an interesting community it's a a small town like you said um but of course at the time you know it's 2001 it's before we have the internet and social media and things like that so you know really the only opinions you heard about were the ones of your neighbors and your friends around you and i know that you know in pleasant grove there was always the joke that everybody in pleasant grove had two friends your best friend and then the friend that you gossip to that friend about <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that that was very much the case in uh in pleasant grove because it was so small that everybody really knew everybody yeah. and you know there were names that came up in the story that i'm i'm familiar with i grew up with these people in fact i my very first job i worked at the hills grocery store that's the only place I ever worked before I got into my current career working in a pharmacy was I worked for a year at Hills, and Jimmy was one of my managers. Hello. Hello, is that Jacob? It is. Hi, Jacob. My name's Jack Lawrence. I'm the um, the host of the podcast uh, where I told the story of the Kane brothers. Yeah, for sure. I, was it spoken about a lot in the community yeah, at the time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's all everybody talked about. That year when it happened, I was a senior, and so we were just getting ready to graduate our senior year. So that was around prom and, uh, you know, that time of year. And in Pleasant Grove back then, you know, everybody was in everybody's business. Uh, Everybody knew everybody. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of talking going on about it for sure. And was there the general set, general sort of consensus that the boys sort of deserved whatever they got? Yeah, uh, I mean, it, at the time, it, it, the way it was portrayed in the newspapers and everything was that they just beat the shit out of him with baseball bats. Yeah, uh, and not not the none nothing about him actually laying hands on Mark first before anything else happened. Uh, none of that was ever brought out that I remember and nothing was ever brought out about him having a weapon 
And really the only information out there is what you read in the newspaper, what you see on the news and what, you know, the other members in the community have to say about it. So you kind of, you know, at surface level, you hear about this awful thing that's happened and you just really draw the obvious conclusion, not having all the facts. Yeah. Um, but having access to the information that we have now, um, I'm not so sure now that what happened was the right thing to happen. This is the very first time in OMR's existence that I've actually been able to see firsthand a community that surrounded an incident we've spoken about actually come together to discuss it, debate it, and begin to explore the fact that what they'd been told for many years may not have been exactly how things happened that day. I've worked very closely with Cam Ward, who was a state senator in 2017, but is now the director of pardons and paroles. So that's kind of a odd place for me to be right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's handy. <laughs> I also am under no impression that he would do anything outside of the bounds of his job. No, of course not. But I'm willing to, to do whatever I, I think I'm good at to help at least bring this story to light where, where these kids are not villains in everyone's mind. When I first began recording with the brothers, one of the first people I spoke with was their father. Hello. Mr. Kane. Yes, sir. It's Jack here. How are you, sir? Right, Steve you? and I haven't spoken since our first call that day. So I wanted to, of course, catch up with him and see how the family had been since the episodes had aired and what, if any, reaction that they themselves have got from the community. Uh, how is everyone going? Everything seems to be going great. I mean, it seems to be moving them quite along. Other people's getting a hold of it now and it's moving along pretty good. I guess the, the the reason I want to catch up with you is to, to talk about, you know, what's happened since the show's gone out. And um, I don't know if you um, had to listen to it at all. I'm sure it's very tricky or very um, probably very upsetting to listen to. Um, oh, no. You've done a great job on it. I was really pleased with it. I can't believe how you put it together like that. I was thinking, man, that cousin, you got this figured out. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even begin to tie that together. That's the reason why I'm in construction. <laughs> I'm glad that you were you were pleased with it. It's the biggest reaction I've seen from a community based off one of the stories we've done so far, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's going through the comments from the post that Katie made of people from the area saying that everything they told were sort of told seemingly was a lie and, you know, there's information that came out that they weren't aware of and it seems like a lot of the community is going, hold on a second, this, this isn't how it was told to us or this wasn't how it was presented in the newspaper and, you know, I spoke to a gentleman who said that he never even knew that Jimmy had laid hands on Mark. In the media it was just basically sold uh, the fact that these boys just basically beat the shit out of this guy and killed him. Right. That's the way they portrayed it, and that's the way everybody knows it. And it's hard to turn the people around when they see, you know, when they hear that. Yeah. And I always said the truth will get out there one day, and one day it will, and, you know, everybody's going to go, ooh. And I really appreciate everything you've done. I can't, I can't tell you how much I do appreciate it. No, I'm just glad there's people out there that care about people. In a recent call with Jeremy, we were discussing how the media and the police and prosecution did an expert job in convincing the jury and indeed the general public that they were three teenage boys out for blood. They beat a family man to death with bats outside his own home. And that's when he mentioned to me a movie he'd watched about a case from his home state of Alabama. 
Have you ever heard of the movie Mercy? No, I don't think I have. Well, this was in the early 90s. This wasn't that really that long ago. Uh, late 80s, early 90s. And um, geez, it's Jamie, Jamie Foxx and somebody else. But basically, they framed a the guy and put him in prison for raping and killing a girl. And he didn't do it. And he had tons of witnesses and stuff. But they actually took the man and put him on death row before he ever went to court to try to scare him into pleading guilty. And he had to sit there and listen to people get electrocuted in the electric chair and smell them and stuff because they put him in a cell closest to the electric chair. And they put another white guy, it was a black guy, and they put a white guy in death row too and made the white guy say that he dropped him off at the place for him to commit the murder to get him reduced charges on some other charges. And um, he ended up getting out. Um, he's dead now. His wife does some type of non-profit thing, I think. But yeah, I mean, Alabama is just so known for crap like that. It's ridiculous. You didn't kill Ronda no, Marsh? No, sir. I ain't never seen Ronda Marsh a day in my life. God knows I ain't. Where were you on the day of the murder? At my house. Did you ever go into Monroeville on, on the day of the no, murder? No, sir. You never went into town? Never went to Monroe, period. So this movie that Jeremy is talking about is actually called Just Mercy. It follows the horrendous story of Walter McMillan, an African-American man who was wrongfully sentenced to death for killing a young white woman. As Jeremy mentioned, the state built a case entirely from the testimony of a career criminal, a man called Ralph Myers. He himself had been arrested for a murder and was threatened with being sentenced to death himself if he didn't cooperate. In fact, they made sure Myers got a chance to experience exactly what he himself would be going through as they lock him up on death row, right near where the inmates are electrocuted. He describes the smell and the noise of an execution, after which he goes straight to the phone and calls the detective. He says he will say whatever they want, as long as he doesn't have to be executed. Walter McMillan would eventually be saved from death row and ultimately exonerated with the help of a young African-American attorney named Brian Stevenson. Mr Stevenson himself would face death threats, intimidation and harassment from not only the local community, but also the police for his work with death row inmates, and in particular, the Walter McMillan case. The family of Mr McMillan knew that it didn't matter if Walter was freed or not, as the public would still believe that he was the killer. And if the state didn't kill him, well, the mob would come looking for him. That's where attorney Brian Stevenson would use the media to their advantage. The same media that had vilified him would now help show everyone the truth, as a 60-minute special airs across the country. Everyone from police officers, the so-called witnesses, Walter McMillan and his attorney Brian Stevenson were interviewed for the piece. Even the district attorney sat down to defend the conviction and its death penalty. What's wrong with our criminal justice system is the fact that uh, uh, people want to come back sometime and second-guess juries. Uh, I don't believe there's been any law enforcement misconduct in this case. I don't think anyone's proved it. If you have not seen this movie, Just Mercy, please, please watch it. The prosecutor's job is not to obtain a conviction, it's to achieve justice. And one of the greatest tragedies about this case is that somebody in Monroe County has literally gotten away with murder. You have one minute remaining. So what now? Well, a Facebook group has in fact been set up 
by members of the Pleasant Grove community, simply titled Free the Canes, a link to which is in the show notes of this episode. So if you would like to get involved in helping Jeremy and Zachary get home, then follow that link. And of course, as always, I will keep you updated with all of the news about their story. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production, created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of ESA. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.